Chapter Ten of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Four by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Comte de Saint Remy. It was about two hours after Boyer had left Edwards to go to Monsieur de Saint Remy when the father of the latter knocked at the door of the house in the Rue de Chaillot. Monsieur de Saint Remy, senior, was a tall man, still active and vigorous in spite of his age the extreme darkness of his complexion contrasted singularly with the peculiar whiteness of his beard and hair his thick eyebrows still remained black and half covered his piercing eyes deeply sunk in his head although from a kind of misanthropic feeling he wore clothes which were extremely shabby yet there was in his entire appearance something so calm and dignified as to inspire general respect the door of his son's house opened and he went in a porter in dress livery of brown and silver with his hair carefully powdered appeared on a threshold of an elegant lodge which resembled the smoky cave of the piplaise as much as does the tub of a stocking darner the splendid shop of a fashionable dressmaker monsieur de saint-remy said the comte in an abrupt tone the porter instead of replying scrutinized with impertinent curiosity the white beard the threadbare frock coat and the napless hat of the unknown who held a stout cane in his hand monsieur de saint-remy again said the comte impatiently and much irritated at the insolent demeanour of the porter monsieur le vicomte is not at home so saying the co-mate of monsieur pipelet opened the door and with a significant gesture invited the unknown to retire i will wait for him said the comte and he moved forward hola come i say my friend that's not the way people enter other people's houses exclaimed the porter running after the comte and taking him by the arm what fellow replied the old man with a threatening air and lifting his cane dare you to lay your hands on me i dare do more than that if you do not be off quickly i tell you the vicomte is not within so now go away will you at this moment boyer attracted by the sound of contending voices appeared on the steps which led to the house what is the meaning of this noise he inquired monsieur boyer it is this man who will go into the house although i have told him that monsieur le vicomte is not within hold your tongue said the comte and then addressing boyer who had come towards them i wish to see my son he is out and therefore i will wait for him we have already said that boyer was neither ignorant of the existence nor the misanthropy of his master's father and being moreover a physiognomist he did not for a moment doubt the comte's identity but bowing respectfully replied if monsieur le comte will follow me i will conduct him very well said monsieur de saint-remy who followed boyer to the extreme amazement of the porter preceded by the valet de chambre the comte reached the first story and followed his guide across the small sitting-room of florestan de saint-remy we shall in future call the viscount by his baptismal name to distinguish him more easily from his father until they reached a small antechamber communicating with the sitting-room and sitting immediately over the boudoir on the ground floor monsieur le vicomte was obliged to go out this morning said boyer if monsieur le comte will be so kind as to wait a little for him he will not be long before he comes in and the valet de chambre quitted the apartment left alone the count looked about him with entire indifference but suddenly he started his face became animated his cheeks grew purple and anger agitated his features his eyes had lighted on the portrait of his wife the mother of florestan de saint-remy he folded his arms across his breast bowed his head as if to escape this sight 
and strode rapidly up and down the room this is strange he said that woman is dead i killed her lover and yet my wound is as deep as sensitive as the first day i received it my thirst of vengeance is not yet quenched my savage misanthropy which has all but entirely isolated me from the world has left me alone and in constant contemplation of the thought of my injury yes for the death of the accomplice of this infamy has avenged the outrage but not effaced its memory from my remembrance oh yes i feel that what renders my hatred inextinguishable is the thought that for fifteen years i was a dupe that for fifteen years i treated with respect and esteem a wretched woman who had infamously betrayed me that i have loved her son the son of crime as if he had indeed been my own child for the aversion with which florestan now inspires me proves but too clearly that he is the offspring of adultery and yet i have not the absolute conviction of his illegitimacy it is just possible that he is still my child and sometimes that thought is agony to me if he were indeed my son then my abandonment of him the coldness i have always testified towards him my constant refusals to see him are unpardonable but after all he is rich young happy and of what use should i be to him yes but then perchance his tenderness might have soothed the bitter anguish which his mother has caused me after a moment of deep reflection the comte shrugged his shoulders and continued still these foolish suppositions weak as useless which revive all my suffering let me be a man and overcome the absurd and painful emotion which i experience when i think that i am again about to see him whom for ten years i have loved with the most mad idolatry whom i have loved as my son he he the son of the man whose blood i saw flow with such intense joy and they would not let me be present at his last agony at his death ah they know not what it was to have been stricken as deeply as i was then too to think that my name always honoured and respected should have been so often mentioned with scoff and derision as is always mentioned that of a wronged husband to think that my name a name of which i had always been so proud should now belong to a man whose father's heart i could have plucked out ah i only wonder i do not go mad when i think of it m de saint-remy continued walking up and down in great agitation and mechanically lifted up the curtain which separated the apartment in which he was from florestan's private sitting-room and advanced several strides into that chamber he had disappeared for the moment when a small door hidden in the hangings of the wall opened softly and madame de lucenay wrapped in a large green cashmere shawl having a very plain black velvet bonnet on entered the salon which the comte had but that instant quitted it is necessary to offer some explanation of this unexpected visit florestan de saint-remy on the previous evening made an appointment with the duchess for the next morning she having as we have said a key of the little gate in the narrow lane had as usual entered by the conservatory relying on finding florestan on the ground-floor boudoir but not finding him there she believed as had before occurred that the vicomte was engaged in his cabinet a secret staircase led from the boudoir to the story above 
Madame de Lucenay went up without hesitation, supposing that Monsieur de Saint-Rémy had given orders, as usual, to be denied to everybody. Unluckily, a threatening call from Monsieur Badinot had compelled Florestan to go out hastily, and he had forgotten his rendezvous with Madame de Lucenay. She, not seeing any person, was about to enter the cabinet, when the curtain was thrown on one side, and the Duchess found herself confronted with Florestan's father. She could not repress a shriek. Clotilde! exclaimed the Comte, greatly astonished. Intimately acquainted with the Prince de Noirmont, father of Madame de Lucenay, Monsieur de Saint-Rémy had known her from her childhood, and during her childhood calling her, as he now did, by her baptismal name. The Duchess, motionless with surprise, continued gazing on the old man with his white beard and mean attire, whose features she could not recall to mind. "'You, Clotilde,' repeated the Comte, in an accent of painful reproach, "'you here in my son's house?' These last words confirmed the vague reminiscence of Madame de Lucenay, who then recognized Florestan's father and said, Monsieur de Saint-Rémy? The position was so plain and declaratory that the Duchess, whose peculiar and resolute character is known to the reader, disdained to have recourse to falsehood in order to account for her appearance there, and relying on the really paternal affection which the Comte had always testified for her, she said to him, with that air at once graceful, cordial, and decided, which was so peculiarly her own come now do not scold you are my old very old friend recollect you called me your dear little clodilde at least twenty years ago yes i called you so then but i know beforehand all you would say you know my motto what is is what will be oh clotilde spare your reproaches and let me rather express my extreme delight at seeing you again your presence reminds me of so many things my poor dear father in the first place and then heigh oh my sweet fifteen oh how delightful it is to be fifteen it is because your father was my friend that oh yes said the duchess interrupting monsieur de saint-remy he was so very fond of you you remember he always called you the man with the green ribbons and you always told him you spoil clotilde mind i tell you so and he replied whilst he kissed me i really do believe i spoil her and i must make all haste and double my spoiling for very soon the world will deprive me of her to spoil her in their turn dear father what a friend i lost and a tear started to the lovely eyes of madame de lucenay then extending her hand to monsieur de saint-remy she said in a faltering voice but indeed in truth i am happy very happy to see you again you call up such precious remembrances memories so dear to my heart the comte although he had long been acquainted with her original and decisive disposition was really amazed at the ease with which clodilde reconciled herself to her exceedingly delicate position which was no other than to meet her lover's father in her lover's house if you have been in paris for any time continued madame de lucenay it is very naughty of you not to have come and seen me before this for we should have had such long talks over the past for you must know that i have reached an age when there is excessive pleasure in saying to old friends don't you remember assuredly the duchess could not have discoursed with more confirmed tranquillity if she were receiving a morning visit at the hotel de lucenay m de saint-remy could not prevent himself from saying with severity 
instead of talking of the past it would be more fitting to discourse of the present my son is expected every instant and no said clodilde interrupting him i have the key of the little door of the conservatory and his arrival is always announced by a ring of the bell when he returns by the principal entrance and at that sound i shall disappear as mysteriously as i arrived and will leave you to all your pleasure at again seeing florestan what a delightful surprise you will give him for it is so long since you forsook him really now i think of it it is i who have to reproach you me reproach me assuredly what guide what aid had he when he entered on the world whilst there are a thousand things for which a father's counsels are indispensable so really and truly it is very wrong of you here madame de lucenay yielding to the whimsicality of her character could not help laughing most heartily and saying to the comte it must be owned that our position is at least an odd one and that it is very funny that it should be i who am sermonizing you why it does seem very strange to me i assure you but i deserve neither your sermons nor your praises i have come to my son's house but not for my son's sake at his age he has not or has no longer any need of my advice what do you mean you ought to know the reason for which i hold the world and paris especially in such horror said the comte with a painful and distressing expression and you may therefore believe that nothing but circumstances of the utmost importance could have induced me to leave angers and have come hither to this house but i have been forced to overcome my repugnance and have recourse to everybody who could aid or help me in a search which is most interesting to me oh then said madame de lucenay with affectionate eagerness i beg you will make use of me dispose of me in any way in which i can be useful to you do you want any interest because de lucenay must have some degree of influence for the days when i go to dine with my great-aunt de montbrison he entertains the deputies and men don't do that without some motives and the trouble ought to be recompensed by some contingent advantages such as a certain amount of influence over persons who in their turn have a great deal of interest so i repeat if we can assist you rely on us then there is my cousin the young duc de montbrison who being a peer himself is connected with all the young peers if he can do anything why i am sure you have but to command him in a word dispose of me and mine you know whether or not i deserve the title of a warm and devoted friend i know it well and do not refuse your aid although come my dear Alcestis, we know how the world wags and let us act as if we did whether we are here or elsewhere it is of little consequence i imagine as to the affair which interests you and which now interests me very much because it is yours let us then talk of it and tell me all i request of you so saying the duchess approached the fireplace leaned on the mantelpiece and placed on the fender one of the prettiest feet in the world which were at the moment somewhat chilled with perfect tact madame de lucenay seized the opportunity of saying no more about the vicomte and of engaging m de saint-remy to talk of a subject to which he attached such a great importance clotilde's conduct would have been very different in the presence of his mother and to her she would have avowed with pleasure and pride how long he had been so dear to so beloved by her in spite of his strictness and surliness m de saint-remy yielded to the influence of the cavalier and cordial demeanour of this lady whom he had seen and loved when a child 
and he almost forgot that he was talking to the mistress of his son besides how could he resist the contagion of example while the subject of a position which was inexpressibly embarrassing did not seem disturbed or even think she ought to be disturbed by the difficulty of the situation in which she unexpectedly found herself perhaps you do not know clodilde said the count that i have been living at angers for a very long time yes i know it in spite of the solitude i sought i had selected that city because one of my relations lived there m de fermont who after the heavy blow that had smitten me behaved to me like a brother after having accompanied me to almost every city in europe where i hoped to meet with the man i desired to slay he served me for second in the duel yes that terrible duel my father told me all concerning it answered the duchess in a sad tone of voice but fortunately florestan is ignorant of that duel as well as the cause that led to it i wish to let him still respect his mother replied the comte stifling a sigh he then continued some years afterwards m de fermont died at angers in my arms leaving a daughter and a wife whom in spite of my misanthropy i was obliged to love because nothing in the world could be more pure more noble than these two excellent creatures i lived alone in a remote quarter of the city but when my fits of black melancholy gave me some respite i went to madame de fermont to talk with her and her daughter of him we had both lost as whilst he was alive so still i came to soothe and calm myself in that gentle friendship in whose bosom i had henceforth concentrated all my affections the brother of madame de fermont dwelt in paris and managed all his sister's affairs after her husband's decease he had placed about a hundred thousand crowns twelve thousand livres which was all the widow's fortune with the notary after some time another and fearful shock affected madame de fermont her brother m de renville killed himself about eight months ago i did all in my power to comfort her her first sorrow somewhat abated she went to paris to arrange her affairs after some time i learned that by her orders they were selling off the furniture she had in her small abode at angers and that the money was applied to the payment of a few little debts she had left there this disturbed me and on inquiry i learned that this unhappy lady and her daughter were in dire distress the victims no doubt of a bankruptcy if madame de fermont could in such straits rely on any one it was on me and yet i never received any information or application from her it was when i lost this acquaintance that was so delightful to me that i felt all its value you cannot imagine my suffering and my uneasiness after the departure of madame de fermont and her daughter their father husband had been a brother to me and i was resolved therefore to find them again to learn how it was they had not addressed me in their ruin poor as i was and therefore i set out leaving at angers a person who if anything was learned would inform me instantly of the news well yesterday a letter from angers reached me they know nothing when i reached paris i began my researches i went first to the old servant of madame de fermont's brother then they told me she lived on the quay of the canal saint martin well that address had been theirs but they had moved and where to was not known unfortunately up to the present time my researches have been useless after a thousand vain attempts before i utterly despaired 
i resolved to come here perhaps madame de fermont who from some inexplicable motive has not asked from me aid or assistance may have had recourse to my son as to the son of her husband's best friend no doubt this hope has but very slight foundation but i will not neglect any chance that may enable me to discover the poor woman and her child the duchess de lucenay who had been listening to the comte with the utmost attention said suddenly really it would be very singular if these should be the same persons in whom madame d'harville takes so much interest what persons inquired the comte the widow of whom you speak is still young is she not her face very striking yes but how do you know her daughter as lovely as an angel and about sixteen at most yes yes and her name is claire oh for mercy's sake say where are they alas i know not you know not i will tell you all i know a lady of my acquaintance madame d'harville came to me to inquire whether or not i knew a widow lady whose daughter was named claire and whose brother had committed suicide madame d'harville inquired of me because she had seen these words write to madame de lucenay written at the bottom of a rough sketch of a letter which this unfortunate lady was writing to some stranger of whom she was asking assistance she wished to write to you and wherefore to you i cannot solve your question but she knew you it would seem said m de saint-remy struck with a sudden idea what mean you she had heard me speak of your father a hundred times as well as of you and your generous and excellent heart in her misfortune it occurred to her to address you that really does explain this and madame d'harville tell me how did she get this sketch of a letter into her possession that i do not know all i can say is that without knowing whether this poor mother and child had gone for refuge she was i believe on the trace of them then i rely on you clodilde to introduce me to madame d'harville i must see her this very day impossible her husband has just been the victim of a most afflicting accident a pistol which he did not know to be loaded went off in his hands and he was killed on the spot how horrible the marquise went instantly to pass the first months of her mourning with her father in normandy clodilde i beseech you write to her to-day ask her for all the information in her power and as she takes an interest in these poor women say she cannot find a warmer auxiliary than myself that my only desire is to find the widow of my friend and share with her and her daughter the little i possess they are now all my family ever the same always generous and devoted rely on me i will write to-day to madame d'harville where shall i address my answer to asnières poste restante how odd why do you live there and not in paris i detest paris because of the recollections it excites in me said m de saint-remy with a gloomy air my old physician dr griffon with whom i have kept up a correspondence has a small house on the banks of the seine near asnières which he does not occupy in the winter he offered it to me it is almost close to paris and there i could be undisturbed and find the solitude i desire so i accepted it i will then write to you at asnières and i can give you some information which may be useful to you and which i had from madame d'harville madame de fermont's ruin has been occasioned by the roguery of the notary in whose hands all your deceased relative's fortune was deposited the notary denied that the money was ever placed in his hands 
the scoundrel and his name monsieur jacques ferrand replied the duchess without being able to conceal her inclination to laugh how strange you are clotilde said the comte surprised and annoyed nothing can be more serious more sad than this and yet you laugh in fact madame de lucenay at the recollection of the amorous declaration of the notary had been unable to repress her hilarity pardon me my dear sir she replied but this notary is such a singular being and they tell such odd stories about him but in truth if his reputation as an honest man is not more deserved than his reputation as a religious man and i declare that is hypocrisy he is a great wretch and he lives rue du sentier i will call upon him what you tell me confirms certain other suspicions what suspicions from certain information as to the death of the brother of my poor friend i should be almost tempted to believe that that unhappy man instead of committing suicide had been the victim of assassination and what can make you suppose that several reasons which would be too long to detail to you now i will leave you do not forget the promises of service which you have made me in your own and your husband's name what would you go without seeing florestan you may suppose how painful this interview would be to me i would brave it only in the hope of finding some information as to madame de fermont being unwilling to neglect anything to discover her now then adieu ah you are pitiless do you not know i know that your son was never in greater need of your advice what is he not rich happy yes but he is ignorant of mankind blindly extravagant because he is generous and confiding in everything and everywhere and always free and noble i fear people take advantage of his liberality if you but knew the nobleness of his heart i have never dared to preach to him on the subject of his expenditure and want of care in the first place because i am as inconsiderate as himself and next in the second place for other reasons whilst you on the contrary madame de lucenay could not finish the voice of florestan de saint-remy was heard he entered hastily into the cabinet next to the room in which they were and after having shut the door suddenly he said in a broken voice to some one who accompanied him but it is impossible i tell you again replied the clear and sharp voice of m badinot i tell you again that if not why in four hours you will be apprehended for if he has not the cash forthwith our man will lodge his complaint with the king's attorney-general and you know the result of a forgery like this the galleys the galleys my poor dear vicomte chapter ten read by celine major